0: Energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all
1: your favorite teams.
0: The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Parker Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEB Radio.com. What's up everybody? Brady Farkas show right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Very exciting day today. Full show all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock and then Jazz with George Thomas comes on. We got a lot to get to. It's not a Patriots Monday. It's weird not having the Patriots stuff to talk about, but the Pats were on the bye ton to get to. UVM hoops talk. Catamounts lose a double overtime crusher yesterday to Cal State Fullerton. UVM men's hockey sweeps the weekend against UNH. We're going to talk with head coach Todd Woodcroft. We'll do that at about 6.30. Some thoughts on the general NFL and today's men's league basketball championship night. 7.30, like right after the show. I'm going to book it up to Essex, try to play in the title game. My ankle? Good. Is it 100%? I wouldn't lie to you and tell you it's 100%. I could feel it a little bit when I run full speed. If I just kind of loaf around, though, I'm all good. Shooting, good. Cutting, good. I'm ready. Championship Monday for me here. Not going to get a lot of time to warm up. Not going to get a lot of time to stretch. But, right, we're going to do what we can. We're going to gut it out, try to get the title. And then, uh, you know, rest up a few weeks until the winter session starts. So I'm very a lot, I'm very excited today. Championship feeling is in the air, much like it was for high school football over the weekend. What a high school football weekend. For those of you that were there at Rutland High School, you saw a couple of really good games. I mean, Mount Anthony beat in Bellows Falls in double overtime. And then seeing CBU have to play defense the last play of the game to hold off Middlebury. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff championship championships just in the air and it feels like it now finally as we're in the 30s here it finally feels like november so you can get in as always on the napa morrisville napa waterbury text line 802-585-3026 your locally owned napa stores in waterbury and morrisville you can also watch the show facebook live youtube live and my twitter account five four three two one and where we go Kyle already hits up the text line saying, I hope you win, Brady. Thank you very much. Also wants to know if I think UVM will do better this year or last year. Let's, let's save the UVM talk for about 10 minutes from now. We are going to get to that. But you, the uh, first thoughts here, the opening thoughts, are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Before we get to UVM, I'll have a little fun first and tell you, about my seahawks viewing experience right we did a lot of we talked a lot about this on friday about how i should watch the seahawks game considering i didn't have a patriots game to watch too like so usually every sunday i'm locked into the pats and i can't really do a lot of other things well no pats yesterday so page Patri- seahawks game was on at 9 30 in the morning right and i grew up a seahawks fan i'm still a seahawks fan diehard so i was like well, look i want to drink beer during the seahawks game but 9 30 in the morning is a little early for me to drink beer so i was taking suggestions from people on what i should do i'll tell you i had plenty of beer during the seahawks game i cracked the first one at 11 o'clock i didn't have plenty during the game i had plenty over the course of the nfl day i really got to do the fan thing which was awesome actually but i cracked my first beer at 11 o'clock i woke up early walked the dog went i've laid in bed for a little bit after that watched some uh, yellowstone on tv and then ended up uh, getting up for good about nine made some chocolate chip pancakes they were very average they were okay i can't cook anything but chocolate chip pancakes they were fine had some milk was a little bit behind live tv i had the game taping so kind of caught up commercial free right around halftime once i hit halftime third quarter started 11 o'clock that's when i cracked the first beer so that I don't like to drink before noon. I don't like to drink before noon. I've almost never done it before in my life. There's something that feels like a little bit too alcoholic-y about drinking before noon, especially when you're by yourself. Like if I was with the boys and we're at the tailgate, that's different. But by myself, drinking before noon is not a habit I want to be in. So I couldn't do 9.30. I didn't want to wait until noon because the game would be almost over. 11 o'clock, I cracked the first beer. I got to say, It was fun to watch football as just a fan. Now, I get a few times of that per year, right? Patriots play on a Monday, Patriots play on a Thursday. So I get to do that a couple of times a season, but it just felt different this time. Because I had the 9.30 Seahawks game. That had me jacked up. I was up early, ready for that. Watching the game as a fan, that was awesome. I'm drinking beer at 11, I had some great leftovers. Jess and I together, mainly her. She made some great kind of football food. We chowed on that all day. Watched, I watched a ton of the Vikings-Bills game. I'm bouncing back to the Giants game. Because um, usually when the Patriots run, I'm not flipping around at all. I'm only I'm sitting in front of the television, locked in on the Pats. That's it. I'm bouncing around games. I'm watching the Dallas and Green Bay game later at night. I'm watching the game. I'm all, I'm. i just the the Niners and the Chargers. I gambled a little bit. I won three dollars yesterday. I lost ten on Saints plus six and a half. Blah. I lost ten on Chargers money line. I won 23 on uh, Packers minus three and a half. So I ended the day up three bucks. So I got drank a little beer, gambled a little bit. That was some good stuff. Watching the game as a fan for me, it's an experience I get, but not a ton. I enjoyed every second of it. The only negative about my football Sunday was I got so into football as I always do, but I got so into just being a fan that when Sunday night football came around, I missed the Yellowstone premiere. Didn't watch it. And, like, I don't watch a lot of things that aren't sports. Yellowstone is one of the things that I do get, that I do watch, and I do get into. I even spent Saturday watching some of the old episodes to get reinvigorated for it. Like, I was ready for it. I was pumped. I had two TVs going. I had the UVM-Cal State Fullerton game going on one TV, and I was fully intent on throwing Yellowstone on, and I just completely forgot about it and watched the entirety of the Sunday night game. So now i got to watch it tonight late at, like, 11 o'clock at night after Monday Night Football. So the only bad thing about my day was that I spent the time – I I watched so much football and UVM hoops that I missed the Yellowstone premiere, and that had me bummed out. So if you watched it – and I know a lot of you did because it's so damn popular. No spoilers, please, here over the course of the next 90 minutes here. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun watching – football as a fan and i also got to watch nfl Primetime, which i love doing now i don't i know some of you like don't know what nfl prime time is or don't remember it but nfl Primetime is the single greatest highlight show in the history of football inside the nfl is awesome too but nfl prime time is great and it started in the it started in the 80s chris Berman and tom jackson it went away is like we got you know, the ability to know what happened on our phone and then everybody had the Red Zone channel, primetime kind of went away. Well, they brought it back a few years ago on NF- on ESPN Plus. Now it's Chris Berman and Booker McFarland. That still, to this day, is the only way I'll watch football highlights. I don't care that I can know what happened on my phone. I don't care that the Red Zone channel exists. That's fine for you. NFL primetime, for me, is still the way to go. And I, like... And I don't like watching on the Red Zone channel. So, really, I was watching the games that were on TV, and then I went to primetime. Like, I didn't even know who won the Rams-Cardinals game until the highlight show came on. I think I'm in the minority because people are watching Red Zone. Not for me, though. That's not for me. I I prefer NFL primetime. To me, it is the best, and it will remain the best as long as they do it. Um, On the football side of things, by the way, I thought that the Germany experience was pretty cool. I thought the Seahawks-Bucks game, like, yeah, I'm disappointed the Seahawks lost. But overall, I thought it was pretty cool. It had a Super Bowl feel to it. And they mentioned that on the NFL Network broadcast. But I got that feeling even before they mentioned it. And it all makes sense, right? Standalone game. You're the only game playing. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody's watching you. At the game. Ton of fan excitement, ton of energy, ton of different jerseys in the crowd. It wasn't, you know, everybody wasn't just partial to one team. It was a hodgepodge just of football fans, which is something you get at the Super Bowl. You get out there early in the week like you do for a Super Bowl. You're doing media constantly. There's a ton of media credentials issued for this game. I think I saw 22 different countries. Their media were represented at the game in Germany yesterday. Like, it had a big feeling to it. I think the NFL did it really, really well. Tom Brady afterwards said he loved it. That was one of the great uh, football experiences I've ever had. So it says a lot for 23 years in the league and for a regular season game, and I think the fan turnout was incredible. It felt like uh, very electric from the time we took the field. So uh, at the end of the game with them singing Sweet Caroline and uh, Country Row, that was was pretty epic. So I think everyone who was a part of that experience uh, got to got to have something pretty uh, pretty amazing memory for their life. So thank you for hosting us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, you talk about it. Tom Brady says like 23 years in the NFL. This guy's played in 10 Super Bowls, won seven, played in how many AFC and NFC title games combined, even more than that 10. He has played in the Rose Bowl. He's done everything that you could do. And yet he said that yesterday was one of the coolest things that he's ever done. That right there tells you that it was a home run. It was cool. And the reports are out. They're going to do it again. I think it's four more Germany games over the next three years. Peter King of NBC Sports says that the Patriots are very possibly going to be one of the host teams for a game next year. So next year, we could be talking about the Patriots playing a game in Germany, possibly in Frankfurt, maybe Munich again, but probably Frankfurt is what Peter King was saying. And we're going to be talking about the Patriots doing exactly what the Bucks and Seahawks did yesterday. And it all kind of makes sense, right? Like, first off, Peter King said it. He doesn't just say things without any basis behind it. Two, next year, the AFC teams, all of them, have nine home games right this year the nfc teams have nine home games so it made sense that tampa went over and they were the, te- the technical home team and so they lost a home game in their own building but they still had eight home games eight road games and then one neutral site game next year the afc teams are the team with nine with other teams with nine home games so if the patriots went they'd still have eight home games eight road games and then one neutral site game so it makes sense that the AFC team would be, it would be a host, and the Patriots also have an international agreement with the German market in the NFL that, like, they can kind of run advertising over there. So the Patriots are a team that is popular in Germany by virtue of hey, they had a lot of success and they had Tom Brady and people know who they are and they won a lot and they've had a couple of German players and they've got this. Uh, international agreement so it all kind of points to the patriots playing in germany next year and i got to say i just told you it looked cool it had a big field to it i think the nfl knocked it out of the park but my preference remains that the patriots do not play overseas as fun as it was as good as it was as cool as it was i'd rather leave that to other teams i don't want the patriots playing overseas one Teams tend to play sloppily in overseas games because it's a difference in routine, it's a time change, it's a lot of travel. You saw Seattle look really out of it in the first half yesterday. So games that you should win become a lot harder to win when you're playing overseas. So not a huge fan of that. The, The field conditions are very iffy. You saw everybody slipping yesterday. I don't need my guys getting hurt. I don't need guys you know, I don't need the game being messed up as a result of sloppy field conditions. It's a very cool element playing overseas. I don't need the Patriots to do it. You want to send Jacksonville and the Colts? You want to send the Texans and Titans? You want to send Washington and Philly sometime? I don't care. I don't need the Patriots to go. It looked cool. I don't need the Patriots to do it. I will say this. There's just kind of a blanket rule of thumb in the future when the nfl does these german games or does these london games i do believe there has to be a nod to competitive balance i do not believe the seahawks lost yesterday because they were screwed by the nfl but i do believe there's something not quite right about sending seattle to play in germany against a team that's three thousand miles closer you look at Seattle; Seattle's 5,200 air miles to travel in like a nine-hour flight or something like that, or, or, through, or through nine hours of time zone t- changes. Tampa had it much easier considering they're coming from closer. In the future, I think that these games should be played by people from like regions, by teams from like regions. You want to send the Chargers and the Rams? That's great. You want to send Seattle and Arizona? That's great. You want to send houston and dallas that's great you want to send the patriots in philly that's great i don't need to see teams that are going you know, where one team is at a massive disadvantage so next year if the patriots are a host i do hope that the team they're playing is not a team from out west or from the midwest i don't need to see them play denver out there so i know the league wants to get popular teams there and teams with brands but I think there's got to be an, an ode to competitive balance as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I don't even want to take a commercial break. Like, we're supposed to take a commercial break right here. I don't even want to. I want to spend some time on UVM men's basketball, who we've talked a lot about here in the early going. Catamounts beaten yesterday by Cal State Fullerton. Which is where my mother went to school. Which is where several of my cousins went to school. I've been on campus at Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton. It was awesome. So I have, I actually am having right now my water in a Cal State Fullerton water bottle. So I have a big affinity for the Titans. There's no doubt about that. I didn't want to win yesterday, but I have an affinity. Catamounts beat 94 to 85 in double overtime. With the loss, UVM now one and two on the season. They'll wrap up their road trip tomorrow against usc which will be tough and we, we know that that's going to be tough i put this out as a disclaimer just to be honest i watched the entire uvm game yesterday but i had the football game on also and i had the game on mute for a bit remember i had had the beer during the football game so i watched every minute of that game but i wasn't watching as intently as i usually do So I just tell you that to be honest. I don't have as many hyper-specific takeaways as I normally do. I really locked in on the second half, but my first half eye was not as keen as it usually is. But that said, that's a really tough loss for the Catamounts because not only are you under 500, and you've lost two straight and you're looking down the barrel of losing three straight tomorrow against USC, but that game against Fullerton – was the one game on this California trip that UVM had a a realistic chance at winning, right? I, I, I thought they could play with St. Mary's. I knew that they certainly weren't going to be favored, and it would have been a huge upset if they won. Can they play with USC? Maybe. Do they have a chance to beat them? I would say probably not. So we knew that the bookends of this trip were going to be really difficult. Cal State Fullerton was the one that you came in thinking, okay, they got a shot to win now. Fullerton was picked seventh in its league this year preseason. They were a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament a year ago. So they're more on UVM's level than the other other two teams. So to not get the win here, especially when you played it so close and went to double overtime, that is tough because you are staring down the barrel of one and three after playing USC tomorrow. And that's not a position that you want to be in. Like, that's not a position you want to be in. And where UVM is at kind of mirrors exactly what we said in the preseason. UVM's non-conference schedule was going to afford a lot of opportunity. It was also... It also had the potential to cause a lot of damage. I mean, if UVM, we looked at this coming in and said, if UVM were to beat any of these California teams or to beat Iona or beat Miami or win the Bahamas tournament, then they were going to put out a great non-conference resume when it came time for the NCAA tournament selection show. And they were going to have great momentum going into their league season. But if you end up losing most of these games, it's very possible we're looking at a UVM team that's five and nine or something by the time we get to conference play. And that's not something that we're used to. I think I thought UVM could get to seven and seven, but that required maybe getting the Fullerton game, getting a game or two. They're not supposed to have, if they just win the games they're supposed to get, they're looking at five and nine. And that's not something that we're used to. I mean, Like if they want to get to 500 in this non-conference, if they want to get to seven and seven, then they got to win all the ones they're supposed to win, right? You can't slip up against Dartmouth or Colgate or Merrimack. But then you got to sneak one or two games that are iffy. You got to win against Iona. You got to beat Yale. You got to win a couple Bahamas games. This is challenging. With this non-conference schedule, we knew that UVM was going to have a monster opportunity to create a great great NCAA tournament resume but if it went sideways you had the potential to be in a position you haven't been in for a long time And that's you know looking at being well under 500 heading into league play if you missed the game right like I was watching a little bit passively early and then very intently in the second half but if you missed it it really was something 31 lead changes in this game what's disappointing is for UVM is not only that you lost, but it's how you lost foul trouble really hampered this team. I mean, Finn Sullivan fouled out, played just 18 minutes as a result, didn't hit double figure scoring wise. As a result, wasn't there to rebound as a result, wasn't there to play defense. And UVM had a 10 point lead in the second half of this game. UVM was up 47-37 at one point. You cannot blow double-digit leads. Right? Like That is inexcusable. When John Becker and his team look at the tape, they're going to say, we got in foul trouble and we blew a 10-point lead. You can't do it. They had, they had, the 10-point lead was early to midway through the second half, so there was still plenty of time for Fullerton to come back. But if you're good enough to build a 10-point lead, you got to be good enough to hold one. And UVM didn't last night. And I get it. This is a new team. This is a team with some young contributors, younger contributors than we're used to seeing. I do trust that they'll figure out how to win and how to close out games by the time we get to the America East Conference schedule. But the question is, is will the non-conference damage be done before they learn how to do that? Will they be five and nine by the time they get to the league? That's not a position anybody wants to be in. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line is open, 802-585-3026. Mark up in Williston says, Brady, you seem so focused on how this team does in the non-conference. Why don't you just sit back and enjoy the league season and know that they have a good chance to win the league and get to the NCAA tournament anyways? Mark, I mean, look, that's a good question. But like you're basically telling me Brady, the non-league schedule doesn't matter. Okay? Do whatever you want in the non-league. Just get ready for the league season. That's basically what you're telling me. I don't view it that way. I don't view it that way. I mean, Mark is basically telling me, go 0-14 in the non-conference, but go 12-4 and 4 in the league, win that, and you'll be good. That's not how I'm built. Like, that might be reality. I know for some people they're just happy with i'll win the league get to the tournament and whatever happens happens i'm not built that way i don't want to see this team go five and nine in the non-conference and end up 18 and 14 i don't want to see this team go four and 10 in the non-conference and end up 19 and 15 that's that's not for me right like that's not for me i want more i am not in the UVM has been too good for too long now for me to just be in the, I'm just happy to be here camp. Like if you're okay with them just winning the league and having whatever record, getting a 16 seed and getting blown out, then fine. That's on you, but that's not for me. That is not for me. So I care about how UVM does in the non-conference. I want to see this team pull some upsets in the non-conference. I want to see them win their Thanksgiving Bahamas tournament. I want to see them win when they go when they go uh, to the Florida tournament last year. I want to see them win those tournaments. I want to see them pull upsets on majors. I want to see them get 12 seeds in the NCAA tournament. I want to see the program grow. I am not, I am well past just happy to be here. If I was a fan in the American East of New Hampshire or Maine, I'd say, you know what? Just happy to be here. Get to the tournament. You're like when Hartford got there a few years ago, I'd say, okay. Get to the tournament and get blown out by 60, but hey, at least we made it. I'm not there with UVM. Not anymore. This program's too good. I want to see them grow. I want to see them become the next St. Mary's, the next Creighton, the next Wichita State, the next VCU, where you do pull those upsets and you become a tournament regular and you get a 10 seed, you get an 11 seed, you get a 12 seed, you get a spot on the line where you can win. Now, I'm not mad at UVM for losing. I understand that Mark the Texter is right. If UVM just wins the conference, then it doesn't technically matter. But I want to see them get an attainable winning record seed or attainable seed where they can get a win. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for 5-9 and nine followed by going... 12 and 4 in the league, and as a result, we finished 17 and 16 or 17 and 13. Like that, that's not what I'm about. I'm not, that time is coming on. That was for 2003, 2004, 2005. The standard has been set now for this program to be good and this program to be good consistently and for this program to win games and win games at a high level. That's what I'm for. So I'm disappointed. Look, if UVM goes five or nine in the non-league, five and nine in the non-league, guess what's going to happen? Their fate is pretty much sealed. They're headed for a 15 or 16 seed. And I'm not not looking forward to that. So I want to see them go seven and seven, eight and six, pull a couple good wins and leave the door open to another 13 seed. Leave the door open to a 12. Because if I can go eight and six, and I can beat Miami, and I can beat USC, and then I can go 15-1 and in the league. Well, now we're talking about something real. It doesn't look like that's going to happen based on how this team is playing, but that's my hope. My goal, I wanted to come out, I wanted to beat Iona, I wanted to beat Yale, I wanted to beat the like-minded mid-majors. I wanted to take down Cal State Fullerton. I wanted to beat a really good Toledo team. I want to play with USC and Miami. The committee thinks I look good. And then I want to go 15 and 1 or 16 and 0 in the league, and I want to end up with a 12 seed, and I want to do damage, and I want to be the team in everyone's office pool that is causing hell. That's what I'm looking for. And so right now, I am obviously, um, you know, obviously, I'm not thrilled that they're 1 and 2, and they're probably going to be 1 and 3 by tomorrow. Texter says it would help with recruiting with a great non-conference schedule. Yeah, of course. And that's part of the reason why they do it. I mean, they do it for UVM plays the schedule they do for the NCAA tournament. Like, that is the reason it is, right? One, it prepares them for their own league. If you have a hard non-league schedule, you would be ready for your league. Two, you're not going to bump up your tournament resume in the league. It's not going to happen. So you're going to bump it up outside of it. So they try to do as much as they can to give themselves as many chances to move up the tournament seating line. Recruiting-wise, it helps, too, because you can go to a kid's living room and say, hey, look, not only do we have a chance to get to the tournament, which is the ultimate goal, we're also going to play at Kansas. We're also going to play at Duke, which this program has done. We're also going to play at USC, at UCLA, at Arizona. We're going to go to Miami. We're going to go play in great tournaments. I mean, it's all connected, but the main reason the schedule is how the schedule is, is because UVM wants what I want. Give themselves as many chances to pull an upset or two, to endear yourself to the tournament committee. And then when you roll through your league, now we're talking about an upset minded position. Because you're not pulling an upset from a 16 seed. It's happened once in the history of the, of the, of the tournament. You want to find a way to the 13 where they've been before, into the 12, into the 11. And when you can't close out games like last night, that reality is becomes a lot harder. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and Radio.com. I want to wrap up my thoughts on UVM basketball. We'll tell you a little bit more about what happened last night specifically. That's next right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com Welcome back in, Brady Farkas, show right here on WDEV, I AM and FM, Radio.com. In the studio here, we have ESPN on sometimes, and it's on right now. And playing right now is a women's basketball game between Tennessee and Indiana, right? So Indiana is the 12th ranked team in the country. Tennessee is 11th, so it's a great early season matchup. It's amazing to me to think that one week ago tomorrow, so six days ago, UVM, The women were playing at Indiana, and now Indiana is playing Tennessee. Just an interesting chain of events there. Like UVM playing Indiana, then Indiana playing on Pat Summit Court against one of the most legendary and iconic programs in the women's game. Pretty cool to think about. I want to wrap up my talk on uvm men's basketball we got uvm men's hockey coach todd woodcroft coming on at about 6 30 talk about his team's great weekend in which they swept new hampshire so those of you who want us to deviate out and talk more catamount athletics well we're doing that coach woodcroft at 6 30 but a couple of final thoughts from the men's hoop team losing yesterday against cal state fullerston by nine in double overtime it was great and it was much needed to see Dylan Penn get going. Like, they needed him to step up, and he's gotten better every game, right? We're only three games in. He had eight eight points in the opener against Brown. He had 13 against St. Mary's. He had 27 points yesterday against Cal State Fullerton, and they needed all of them in order to stay in that game against the Titans. He he did it all yesterday. Nine of 17 from the floor, so he was above 50% from the floor. He, had, he even hit two threes, and for a guy that we think or I say can't shoot, I think he was two of five from three. I will take two of five from three every game from him if that happens. He got to the free throw line, seven of nine. He was aggressive. He finished around the rim, finished with both hands. He had four assists. He hit a game-tying bucket at the end of regulation. Like How we even got to overtime was a result of Dylan Penn going left, driving off the window. And hitting a layup. He's starting to assert more control, and that's great because they're going to need him. I expected Dylan Penn to be the best player on this team. And after night one, it looked like it was Aaron Deloney, but it's starting to look again like it's Dylan Penn. And he's showing you why he was a preseason all-conference selection and why he was a, a preseason pick, at least by a lot of people, as the preseason player of the year in the American East. They they are going to need him. They don't need 27 every night, but they need him to be aggressive and assertive, and we're seeing that more and more as we get deeper into this Catamount hoop season. Number two, the overall scoring depth for this team right now, it's not the way it's going to be in three months, I'm sure, but right now, the overall scoring depth for this team just isn't there. I talked about, needing three guys every game in double figures, right? I talked about Dylan Penn, Aaron Deloney, Finn Sullivan. They had to be in double figures every game. They had to average double figures. Well, yesterday, they got two guys in double figures. Now, Penn carried the load, and he made up for it, but the scoring depth, the amount of guys you can rely on for UVM right now, it's just not enough. It's just not deep enough. Penn had 27, and Aaron Deloney had 15. But look, we played 50 minutes of basketball yesterday. 50 minutes of game time. And UVM only had two guys get more than 10 points. Can't have that. You need other guys you can go to. Finn Sullivan was out for foul trouble most of the game. Only played 18 minutes. Didn't get double figures. Somebody else needed to be able to get a bucket. And outside of Penn and Deloney, and Deloney struggled with it too at that, but outside of those two, they couldn't get anybody else going consistently. Fullerton had five players get in double figures. You had two. Fullerton had seven players get at least eight points. You had four. That's the difference in the game. That's a difference in the game. You, you fought your tail off. You went to double overtime. You took on a team in their gym that went to the tournament a year ago. If you want to win that game, you got to get the productivity across the board, and UVM just didn't get it. They just didn't have enough of it. TJ Hurley, who I asked to average seven this year, he had three. Nick Fiorillo, who I asked to average eight, he got seven. You just, you're going to need more, and that is a fact. By February, I think you'll see things humming. I think that this is going to be a year where this team is much better at the end of the season than they are at the beginning, and that is ultimately okay. But if you're looking for what was wrong last night, scoring depth was one of those things. Also, rebounding. We said it from the start. Rebounding is going to be an issue. It remained an issue. And when Finn Sullivan's out with foul trouble, that, I mean, that's huge. Because he's a guy who can get you six rebounds, seven rebounds, eight rebounds. And he didn't have it most of the game. And UVM got out, rebounded by 11 right? They got, they got killed on the glass against St. Mary's. They got killed on the glass yesterday. When you're playing the bigger conference teams, you don't have to out-rebound them by 11, but you just can't afford to get pummeled, and UVM is getting pummeled. And when you get pummeled on the glass, here's what happens. Like, here's the chain of events. When they get two, three, four shots of possession, they just score more points, right? They have the ball more, they score more points. But, If they don't score, then you end up fouling them because the ball gets moving, everything's in the lane, it's all congested, you you start hacking, you start contesting shots, and you end up in foul trouble. And that's what happened to UVM, right? Finn Sullivan fouled out. Two players for the Catamounts fouled out. Fullerton shot 42 free throws over the course of the game. Like 42 potential free points were given to Cal State Fullerton. You cannot get beat on the glass like that because that leads to a lot of other bad things. UVM shot 28 free throws, or 25 free throws, which is fairly good, but they shot 17 more than you. That's a difference in the game. You cannot win too many games with that kind of disparity. It just can't happen. It just can't happen. I don't envy Nick Fiorillo. Nick Fiorillo, who fouled out, who had just the seven points, I do not envy him. At the end of the first overtime, Nick Fiorillo, with the Catamounts trailing 74-73, Nick Fiorillo got fouled with one-tenth of one second remaining and stepped to the free throw line knowing that one free throw would tie the game and two free throws would give UVM a win because you can't get a shot off in one-tenth of a second. So if he hits both, the game's over. He stepped to the line and he hit the first. And that was amazing, because I know how nerve-wracking that can be to be out there by yourself, practically. Be out there on an island at the free-throw line. But then, So he tied the game. He did the hard part, but he missed the second one. If, if he hits that, UVM wins. I don't blame the loss on him, but if he hits that free-throw, UVM wins the game. They had it in their hands after the first overtime, right, the first overtime, and they, and they missed it. I do not envy that position, right? When you talk about some of the loneliest and most difficult places to be, being a goalkeeper or a goalie, being a field goal kicker, being a pitcher, and being a free throw shooter. Not fun, not easy, not pleasant. And Nick Fiorillo yesterday, I felt for him. He did the hard part. He sent it to overtime. The game got to continue because of him, and that is great. But they were that one shot away from pulling that upset and from getting that victory, and they weren't able to do it. And finally, I like what I'm seeing from Robin Duncan. I like what I'm seeing from Robin Duncan because – let me see if I can grab a piece of audio here. Uh All right, I've got it queued up here. But Robin Duncan's playing well. He's a guy that I I, I wouldn't say I've been critical of, but he's a guy that I'm aware of what he is and what he isn't. He is not a shooter. He is not a guy who's going to pour in 25 for this team every night. But he does a lot of really good things. He He had 14 against St. Mary's. He had eight last night. And he also led the team in rebounding yesterday. I I like what I'm seeing from Robin Duncan across the board. If he gets eight points every night and throws in six to eight rebounds, that is going to be – that is a huge boost for this team. Look, he had zero against Brown. And I've wondered, like, oh, man, he can't score. Can he really be out there all the time? If he's going to get eight and eight every night, then yes, he can. And after the St. Mary's game, John Becker – or uh, after the Brown game? No, this is after St. Mary's. John Becker was talking about Duncan. Hopefully, that would that would be great, you know. But um, the things that he does do, you know, are still important to our program.
1: And he's the leader of this team, which is his, you know, big responsibility. He brings toughness. Um, obviously, uh, you know, moves the ball really well offensively. But yeah, we've got to figure out when he's playing the four how to how to use him. Uh,
0: his man helps off quite a bit, which. Um, you know, affects our spacing. So he said, like, look, teams will drop off, Robin, and that affects other things. We got to kind of manage it and figure it out. Well, I, right now, they're finding a way to get him useful. Led the team in rebounding yesterday, eight points. I like what I've seen from Robin Duncan. I like what I've seen from and I know Coach Brennan is really, really high on him, and I think we're going to hear from Coach Brennan about him and others tomorrow. So Coach Brennan, always with me on a Tuesday right now. I want to get to a little bit of Red Sox news and notes. Um, Rob Bradford of W.E.E.I. And this is the Brady Farkas show reminder on D.E.V. Rob Bradford of W.E.E.I. said over the weekend, the Red Sox have offered Nathan Avaldi a multi-year contract. Now we don't know the numbers on this multi-year offer, and I think, look, I have to reserve full judgment until I see the offers, right? Four years and 80 million is a lot different than two years and 10 million. That's just a fact. So until we know the numbers, I have to reserve full judgment on this. We already knew that the Red Sox had offered Evaldi the one year qualifying offer worth, you know, over 19 million. But now this is the first news we've heard about the multi year offer. But I got to say, I don't love this direction from High and Bloom right now. I like High and Bloom. I've defended High and Bloom. I want to believe in High and Bloom. I think he's got a good process and a good plan. But this I don't particularly love. Let me make a very easy comparison here. It is perfectly fine to shop for store brand clothes. okay? Perfectly fine to shop for store brand clothes once you have shopped designer first and that's what I want the Red Sox to be and that's what I fear the Red Sox are not right now like hey babe I just got Gucci sunglasses my next pair is going to be Walmart brand that's that's a logical progression High and Bloom is saying you know we're just gonna shop at Walmart all the time and that's what you can't have that's what you can't have now Nathan Ivaldi is better than Walmart. I get that. But you get my point. I don't mind bringing back Nathan Ivaldi if I've already gotten Carlos Rodon or if I've already gotten Justin Verlander or if I've already gotten Jacob deGrom or if I've already signed Cody Senga or if I've already traded for Corbin Burns. Those are the guys that I want. And I want Ivaldi to come after that. I don't want Ivaldi first. This team is not going to get where I want it to go with a bunch of C's and B's all over their roster. They're going to need some A's. It's why they need to keep Rafael Devers. He's an A. It's why they need to make a big move at shortstop, whether it's Bogarts, Correa, Swanson, Turner, whether it's one of those four. They need to have one of them. Like, you need pillars of your roster. You need stars. You need A's. And right now, the Red Sox are shopping in the all B's and C's aisle, and I don't love that. To me, Nathan Divaldi is a B. And I can have B's, but I got to have an A, and right now, I don't have one. Nick Pavetta is a B. Chris Sale and Paxton Sales a B, Paxton is a C. Like Whitlock is a B. Bayo right now is so young; he's a B or a C. Once you get an A, two A's, then you can start backfilling and kicking out the C's and replacing them with B's, and that's when you're great. But right now, I just don't love hearing this. Like if the money's right, I'm cool with Evaldi, but that can't be your big move. That cannot be the thing that gets you through the offseason. And I'm fearing that the Red Sox are going to make that kind of move their big move. I don't want that. I don't want that. Right? Like, it's all I hear about this roster is people are like, oh, well, you know what? You can bring back Hosmer. They can bring back Arroyo. They can bring back Kike. What about Ref Snyder? They're all fine, but they're all B's and C's. Somewhere you need an A. Rich Hill, Michael Waka. They're B's and C's. Where is my A? I got to shop at Gucci before I go to Target brand. And that's where the Red Sox are right now. I I do trust high and bloom. I do. But I don't, Every thing that I see tells me why, like, makes me wonder, why am I trusting him? Because this just doesn't seem, this isn't the way the Red, and I get it. The big guys aren't going to sign yet, so maybe you want to take care of the other guys first. But I want to see the Red Sox be aggressive. Call up Carlos Rodon, get his agent on the phone, and make him an offer he can't refuse. Okay, Robbie Ray last year, he won the Cy Young in 2020. 2020? No, 2021. So Seattle calls him up 5 for 115, done. Seattle makes a deal with Luis Castillo, 5 for 110 or whatever. Done. Call up Carlos Rodon and go 5 for 105, 5 for 106, and make the offer and get us on to the rest of the offseason. If you get Carlos Rodon, then we can go and talk about Nate Valdi. I don't want to talk about Nate Valdi first. Am I wrong in this? 802-585-3026. Let me know your thoughts on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. I don't dislike Evaldi, but look, Nathan Ivaldi now is coming off a year where he was injured a lot of the year, and he's older. He's going to be 33 next year, right? So you're telling, I don't want an oft-injured, now older pitcher to be my, my lone big move, right? Justin Verlander's older. He's coming off a year of perfect health. I'd take him. Jacob deGrom is an off injured pitcher. I'm not even bullish on him. Rodon is the guy I want more than anything. Texter says, I want to see you dressed in Gucci. I wear Oakley sunglasses. Okay? I go shopping at Oakley, then I go to Walmart. Right? I go shopping at Oakley, then I go to Walmart. I don't do Gucci. Some people do, though. Uh, no, just not, I'm definitely not definitely not good for me. Nick and Charlotte. This is a good question, actually. Brady, do you see any way that Nathan Ivaldi could go to the bullpen? They've offered him a multi-year deal. Could you put him in the bullpen where his his good velocity can play at the back end of a game? I, I would love to use Nathan as a as a bullpen arm. I would, because I think you're right. He throws a lot of strikes, so he doesn't walk guys. I could trust him to throw strikes at the end of the game throws multiple pitches, right? He's got 99 for a fastball, get even higher in uh, in shorter doses, throws a curveball, throws a slider, throws a split. I would love Ivaldi in the bullpen. That said, I don't think there's any way in hell that it happens because Nathan Ivaldi right now has the control. He's a free agent. He has other options. If the Red Sox say to him, hey, we'll make you a reliever, and seven other teams say, we'll let you be our number two or three starter, then sign see you later. It's easier to yo-yo guys around or move guys around when they don't have control, right? It's why Garrett Whitlock could be moved around so much this year. Like, he doesn't really have a say in the matter because he's Red Sox property. So, Evaldi, he's going to go into negotiations and he's going to want to know what everyone's plan is for He sees himself as a starter. He wants to be a starter. He had a great 2021 as a starter. I don't see any way that he wants to go back. So, no, I don't think that's likely. What is possible, and I would say not likely, but it is possible, just maybe you can see Nick Pavetta in the bullpen. That's something that Tom Karen has advocated for for the last year right? Pavetta 2021 playoffs against the Rays and against the Astros, right? He had that electricity. He had that energy. Pavetta was really good in the bullpen. He has that aggressiveness. He has that mindset. He feeds off the crowd. Pavetta is a guy who has a reliever's mindset. He also is under contract. It doesn't really, he can balk, but right now he's not playing for anybody else. So if we're talking about a starter going to the bullpen, Nick Pavetta, to me, is the more likely candidate. And that is one I'd be okay with. I don't want Nick Pavetta as my closer. But if the Red Sox go get Rodon and Senga and then bring back Ivaldi and have Sale with Bayo, well, now we're talking about a rotation and Pavetta can go to the pen. But that would require Haim Bloom and company to go fork over money to get Rodon and Senga, to get Verlander and Senga. To get Verlander and Avaldi, if if you can get some A's and you want to bump Pavetta to the pen, then I'm okay with that. I'm already in favor of bumping Paxton to the pen. So we, we will see what happens, but uh, I, I don't think it's likely for either of them, frankly. But Pavetta is the guy more likely, just given that, again, he doesn't have as much of a choice. Texter says, do you wear your Oakleys when shopping at Walmart? I will wear Oakleys in any scenario, uh, I'll wear them on top of my cap. I'll wear them behind my head. If they're not on my face, they will be on my person. I have, like, three pairs of Oakleys. I actually have four pairs of Oakleys. Texter says, I don't think you're wrong, Brady. I think the Red Sox should sign some big players before signing Nathan Evaldi. Thank you. That's what I'm asking for. Again, Tyler Anderson won a zillion games for the dodgers this year a zillion he signed as i recall like now again it was all wonky because of the lockout he signed like at the very end the dodgers did their heavy lifting and signed freddie freeman they got a star and they're like you know what what else can we do to help okay there's tyler anderson and he ended up being great that's fine get your shopping done early though get your shopping done early right seattle last year i'm gonna keep using them as an example. Right? They made a trade for Adam Frazier last year. They signed Robbie Ray. The lockout hit. They went into the lockout knowing, hey, our biggest thing is done. We got Robbie Ray. And then when the si- when it ends, now ah, okay, now we can go to the bullpen a little bit. We can tinker here, tinker there, minor league free agent. That's all fine. You have to do all that. But you got to shop in the expensive aisle once in a while at the start. And the Red Sox have financial resources that almost nobody else has use them please i beg you to use them right it's like you want to go out and take out the girl of your dreams you know what you're gonna split you should be splurging for the 150 dollars dinner on date one you want to take her to sizzler do that three years into the relationship don't start with sizzler Does sizzler even still exist? don't start with red lobster take her to the nice seafood seafood joint on the burlington waterfront this is what the Red Sox need to be doing. Nathan Ivaldi is fine. I would be okay with having him back, but he can't be my headliner. And to know that we're that the Red Sox have offered him a multi-year deal, I'm starting to get worried that like maybe they see him as the headliner. Because if they go into the into the year with Ivaldi and Sale and Paxton, all you've got there is three 30-plus pitchers who are off injured, and Bayo, a young rookie. That's that's not going to cut it for me. Rodon, that's the move. Degrom again, unless interested in him because of his injuries, he also is a 30-plus year old pitcher who's off injury. Verlander, he's now healthy. He's answered my questions there. Tyler Anderson, not an A, but a guy I consider to be useful, maybe more useful than Evaldi, more healthy. This is this is this is the infuriating part of this to me. Is, uh, is I just I hate the idea of bargain shopping being my only shopping. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and Radio.com. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Online at ProDriverCDL.com. Again, your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, Passenger and Advanced Skills Training. You can get all of them uh, through Pro driver CDL. All right. We will step aside. We've talked a lot of UVM basketball, UVM men's hockey with a banner weekend, earning five points, sweeping away UNH and hockey's play. We'll talk to the architect of the program. That's Todd Woodcroft. He's going to be with us next. And an update on UVM men's soccer. That's right. A little football on a football Monday here on WDEV.
1: Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at
0: 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on this Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You know, it feels weird not talking like a ton of NFL today. I know we did uh, at the beginning of the show. I know we talked about Germany and talked about my weekend and the Pats maybe playing in Germany, etc. But it feels weird on a Monday not breaking down a Patriots game. But in a way, I'm kind of grateful the Pats are on the bye this weekend because... It's given us a chance to dive into a lot of local stuff. We talked about UVM men's hoops a little while ago and their loss against Cal State Fullerton last night, and we're going to have UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft with us momentarily, but also a chance for me to sneak in this little nugget. It came out just a couple hours ago, about 1.30 or so, that UVM men's soccer is going to be hosting an NCAA tournament game coming up this Thursday at home at Virtue Field, 7 o'clock against Quinnipiac. And... This is big because remember, UVM's ranked was ranked eighth nationally in the country. And I don't pretend to know a lot about college soccer, but they were ranked eighth in the country nationally, lost in their conference tournament against U Albany, U Albany. So there was certainly a question as to whether or not they were going to get an at-large bid. Not only do they get an at-large bid in to the tournament, but they get in or they get a home game in the NCAA tournament. And this is a big one because these two teams met back in August in Burlington, and Quinnipiac won that game by a score of 2 to nothing. So this is a UVM team that only lost three games all year. One of them is against Quinnipiac, and they get the Bobcats coming back to their home turf again on Thursday night in the NCAA tournament. And the uh, the goalkeeper of the year in the American East, Nate Silviera, was talking with NBC5 and said, like, this game has an added meaning. I would say so. I mean, maybe not um – for everybody at in different levels, because I think as Dal mentioned earlier, um, we like myself and a couple of the guys played with some some couldn't be at guys over the summer, and there's that little bit of uh, private going back and forth a little bit. Um, but I think in that in that aspect, like it's definitely a little bit more personal. But in terms of the team, um, I think yeah, just everybody wants to be able to get revenge on them and uh, knock them out and should, um, prove to them why it was. A hiccup on our end, and not necessarily that they were better than us because um, we fully full, wholeheartedly believe that we're the better team, and we're looking to show that this Thursday. Well, I mean, that those are those are fighting words there from UVM goalkeeper Nate Silveira. And uh, look, I love it, frankly. Look, a good goalkeeper, I don't usually love trash talk, I don't usually love bulletin board material, but. A goalkeeper has to have that swagger, right? Has to have that next play mentality, has to have that attitude, same as a defensive back or a guy who gets beat. You just have to have that bounce back quality. So I love the feistiness from your goalkeeper there. Should be a good one on Thursday night. That game's going to be televised nationally on ESPN+. Plus. Old intern Jack, who works at NBC5 now, he uh, he went to Quinnipiac. So it's the, uh, as I'm calling it, the Jack Main Bowl on Thursday night. But uh, look, again, a lot of local stuff on the show plan today because, again, no Patriots stuff. All right, let's go out now to the phone line and bring on our guy Todd Woodcroft, UVM men's hockey coach, Catamounts with a five-point weekend, sweeping the weekend against UNH. Overtime on Friday, a 2-1 win on Saturday, a great weekend for the Catamount men. And Coach Woodcroft is with us now. Coach, how are you?
1: Not too bad, Brady. How you doing? How's how's the uh, foot doing? I keep hearing about it. The
0: the foot is doing better. Championship tonight. You know, a little while from now, I'm going to gut it out and play, and uh, hopefully it goes well. Hey, let me before we get to your team. It's great weekend. Let me put a bow on the UVM basketball conversation we were just having before you came on. Catamounts were beaten last night, double overtime, out against Cal State Fullerton. You as a coach, what do you? How do you come back from a game that you had a chance to win? maybe you're punching above your weight class a little bit but you had it in hand for a bit and you've lost and it's a tough one and you got a quick turnaround you as a coach, how do you handle that?
1: I, I think the first thing that the coaching staff and John and his staff will will be thinking about is that you just you got to keep the powder dry right like you, you're better than maybe just the one game showed last night. I, th- I think if you you know you, you get overly focused on the problems. It, it keeps you away from finding the solutions. You know, I, I'm John is a heck of a coach. His staff is awesome. And I know that their process they believe in is, is really good. So I think they're going to get back to the proverbial drawing board right now. Their message, I'm sure, isn't going to change. They're going to talk about them wanting to have a culture of performance. Uh, and then they're going to get into it in practice as soon as they get back to practice. And then they They rebuild the competition, the competition, they rebuild the confidence through repetition. Uh, I've watched them practice all the time. I actually sometimes just sit and watch them. I think their practices are awesome. I love their athletes. Um, I I know that's a good team, too. So I'm I'm not remotely worried. I got to watch them play last week and it was it was a ton of fun.
0: Well, I, I was at the opener against Brown. That was fun—a fifteen-point victory. Two losses since then. But now let's get to let's get to the team of the hour, and that's your team—a five-point weekend for you guys. And I went through. I think this is only the second five-point weekend in the last three years for this program. So a really successful weekend, a good weekend against your twin state rivals in UNH. What was working for your team this weekend?
1: Um, I, I, I think UNH is a real good team for us to play against are very similar to kind of where we are in our development arc. Uh, What we're trying to find is a competitive window, what we're going to be able to uh, dictate the game, or we're going to be able to impose our will on opponents. We've had a schedule where where we have played uh, hockey East, the excellent teams, the giants of hockey East right off the bat. And we wouldn't want it any other way. We want to play the best early in the season to show us, kind of who we are and the reality of hockey east is i think we have four or five teams in the top 20 for sure and a whole bunch of them in the top 10 and top 12 that's good that means that our league is strong and our league is one that's going to be feared eventually when we start winning um, and i don't just mean winning games i mean winning championships and then winning tournaments etc we have to get through these teams so i i am actually thankful that we got to play the heavy opponents early and right off the bat. And we got another one this weekend in Providence uh, because that, that'll allow you to use a like a measuring stick of how you are against the top team. So we're, we're, we're really happy. We had a great weekend against UNH. Um, and now we're looking forward to playing against uh, like an, a league and a nation-leading team in Providence coming up.
0: I think Providence, the Friars, ranked number nine as we sit right now here on this Monday edition. Pretty Brady like show on WDEV talking with UVM hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. Talk to me about your goaltender because good goalie play has been a staple of the Catamounts in the time that I've been here, the six years, right? Stephanos Lekas was here for a number of those years, and he was awesome. But Gabe Carrier is doing a really, really good job right now for you guys this season. What do you see out of your young goaltender?
1: Well I think Gabe is a is a pro goalie and I think he's an NHL goalie and I don't say that lightly. I understand the responsibility of what I'm saying there. I know he went to the Bruins camp in the summer and I was told by multiple people he was arguably the top goaltender that was there and he's an undrafted goalie. Uh, he is a uh, elite level athlete um, almost like Tom Brady with what he puts into his body. <laughs> Probably nobody's the extent of Tom Brady, but, you know, how he treats himself, how he rests, how he prepares for the games. Um, I haven't seen a ton of bad goals from game from Gabe in the past couple of games. Um, and even in the past, you know, we had a full year with him last year and the first year we had 12 games and he only got in a couple. He's had a, two goals that he would rather have back, uh, mm-hmm. one against UMass Lowell uh, and then one against UNH that I know he, he would rather have back but he's aware of it. So he's understanding what it takes to be a pro. Sometimes I look at him and I think the only thing that's keeping this guy standing is the pride that he has in his game and his competitiveness. Um, Even when we're getting shelled with shots against, we know that the team is confidence in this guy that's back there in the paint and, He's an excellent, excellent athlete, wonderful human being, and you put those two things together with someone who works hard, you have a really good chance of being a pro.
0: You know, something I've heard you talk about in this program's development is the need to develop more offense and more scoring. You've always said that the hallmark is going to be playing gritty, low-scoring games are okay, and, and these two games this weekend were generally low-scoring as well. Where are you at right now, you think, in developing the offensive side of the ice?
1: Well, offense is an interesting thing. I've been told I'm offensive uh, very, very many times. But <laughs> when you're looking at offense, it's it's the horses that you have in front of you. So we just, where we are, we don't have the Marty St. Louis and Eric Perrins and John Leclerc's guys that when you get a puck on their stick, you know they're going to hit a quarter size hole in the net. We just don't have those. Uh, we're recruiting those guys. We're finding those guys. And a lot of our scoring skill is really our young players. Um, we do have an injury situation right now where we're dealing with some of our scorers who are out. Tarkianin has been a scorer everywhere he's been. He had some injuries last year uh, that kept him out of some games. He's got a season-ending injury this year. He won't play a game this year. Um, you know, our first week we had a player who had to step away from the game for the whole season. He was going to be our, I guess our de facto high scoring offensive centerman. Uh, now you got Spitsarov, who's a very offensive player. He's yeah. had uh, surgery. He's done until most likely Christmas. So we have to score by committee. And offense to me is not just scoring, which seems crazy, but offense is spending as much time as you can in the offensive zone. And we did that this weekend against UNH. If you go to you know, the goals that we were creating, it was from sustained offensive zone time. I want us to be a team that plays in the offensive zone as much as possible, which everybody would think is natural, but it's actually really hard to do. The other teams, they don't want you to score, and they're going to check you hard. So our offense on this team with the roster that we have has to come from checking for offense, offense coming from good defensive reads and good defensive plays and offense through our entries, being hard in front of our own net, 200 feet from their net, to create those entries think and to create rush chances. We're, we're a team I think is very good on the four check. I think we're one of the best teams in the country on the four check. We just need to turn uh, the good four check into some offense that will eventually lead to some goals. So we work on it more than most people would think is possible. We have skills ice every single morning. That's just shooting pucks and looking for ways to score. We're just kind of scoring deficient right now. And, and we understand it. We, we, We know that that's where we are, and we are going to win games two to one and three to two, and maybe three to one or two nothing, and that's fine. What I like about it, Brady, is that last year we were on the wrong side of those games. Mm -hmm. Now this year we're starting to become on the right side of it. So we're trying to build something sustainable offensively. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, We're not going to cheat the process or take any shortcuts just to get offense. I've never found that successful. I look at Tampa Bay Lightning uh, when they got swept by uh, Columbus a couple of years ago. I thought they were just such an offensive team. It's the best team I ever saw live. We never touched the puck against them on the team I was on last. And then they get to the playoffs and they lose four straight to Columbus. When they figured out that you were going to win games by checking and creating your offense from turnovers off of checking and transition game, that's when they went on to win a couple of cups in a row and were really close to winning a one, winning another one last year.
0: You know, you mentioned the games upcoming this weekend against Providence and I'm not saying this is your team, but I do know human nature and I do know what it's like to be a college athlete. So there's there's one of two ways that this goes. Either your team takes the the adrenaline of this weekend and runs with it and now get on a nice little run and build on the momentum or everybody who hasn't won a bunch lately sits back and says, hey, we won two. We're good. And then you kind of get a wake up call that, you know, you're not quite there yet. How do you you be the first? How do you get your team to ride the wave, build some momentum that carries you forward?
1: Well, this would be the easiest answer I might have in a long time. We we don't really worry about uh, who we're playing. We worry about how we're going to play. So we don't really want to change our game. We just want to change our gear and how we execute on things. When you play against a team as good as Providence, and they're big and they're heavy, and it's really hard to win uh, in their rink, uh, we've actually had really good success against Providence. I think we play them very well because they're hard and they're heavy and they want to run us over. And I think actually this team responds well when teams start hunting us like that physically. Um, I would say that I wouldn't be happy with any team I watched or supported or coached who was ever just comfortable mm-hmm. and accepted that we just had a good weekend. You have to be driving forward. We're never looking in the rear windshield. We're only looking in the windshield that's ahead of us. That's the most important part for this development is not accepting that you just won. It's it's getting on a roll is having to win these difficult games on the road. That's the next step, I think, for this team is getting through some of the Giants of Hockey East. Well,
0: we're looking forward to this matchup against another one of those Giants, number nine Providence, coming up this weekend. But for now, I know Coach is back to work on it, but... I will enjoy the sweep weekend. The Catamounts taking it to UNH over the weekend, and really Friday night Andre Bialski's game winner was uh, was electric to watch. I was that watching was, it on ESPN Plus. That was a lot yeah. of fun. I don't think UNH touched the puck for the entirety of overtime. I, it, I may be wrong on that, but it didn't feel like it ever left your zone unless you took
1: it out yourself. They they had some uh, a couple of early shots on, but it, overtime's an interesting one. Um, I think we have a tactical advantage there. Like we have some guys who can really skate like Andre. Uh, we, we talk about three-on-three. Three. We have rules on three-on-three. On three. I don't think a lot of um, teams spend a ton of time on 3 and 3 They just throw out their best players. We have actual things we do tactically in there. And, and I think since, since uh, you know, last year and this year and even, I guess, the first year, I don't think we've uh, had a bad, a bad game in three. I think we lost one game in three-on-three. Uh, maybe it might've been an overtime game. I can't remember, but we're pretty good, but we actually practice it and spend a lot of time. In, and that was, a, that was a pretty good clinic, especially when, you know, we just seemed that we were not only shooting the puck and skating, puck, but retrieving the puck, like the decisions you make with the puck in overtime have a huge cost or they have a huge reward. And if you're able to get in and grab those pucks back off a of retrieval, like we were able to do, and having the right guys on the ice, guys who can skate. Actually, Andre wasn't up on the rotation next. There was another player coming, and just at the last second, we just said, Andre, you're kind of a feeling we had on the bench, and we just sent Andre out there, and he went out, and he did great. But actually, that play started with Robbie Stucker. Uh, You know, he had a great cutback uh, just over the blue line there, and he he shimmy-shaked about, felt like, you know, 15 guys there when there was only three of them. Put a great shot on net like a – like an off-speed, like a baseball reference, like an off-speed <laughs> shot on net on purpose going for that far side. If it wasn't going to go in, we had the surety of uh, Andre Bualski right there underneath that, and he put it in the back of the net, and that was that was dynamite. That was fun. That was fun to watch.
0: Well, a lot of fun for sure. Catamounts rolling out two wins in a row. Back to it against Providence this weekend. Coach Woodcroft, man, we appreciate it. Congratulations on the uh, recent success, and more coming, I'm sure.
1: Thanks a lot. Take care, Brady.
0: There goes UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft, and and I gotta say, I'm so happy for him and for his program. That last weekend or this past weekend, a couple of days ago, was great for the program. And you know, I know sometimes the media, you know, people, oh, you're not supposed to get involved. You're, you you cover these people. You're not supposed to be friends with them. You're not supposed to get invested. I can't operate that way. Like I am invested in our teams here, right? I'm invested in the Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox, and Bruins, but I'm invested in our local teams. I'm invested in UVM athletics. I'm invested in Norwich Athletics. I know these people. I know Coach Ellsworth. I've met him personally. I've watched hockey before at Buffalo Wild Wings with Todd Woodcroft. i know Coach Becker. I know uh, Mark Murniak over at Norwich football. Like I know these people. I like these people, and I'm rooting for these people to have success. And for UVM men's hockey, man, it has been a grind, right? The program was down at its luck when Woodcroft took over. Then you get the COVID season, you barely play, and you're starting the thing almost from scratch. And now to go out and get a five-point weekend, that's huge. And I'm happy for them. I don't know where UVM's going to finish in relation to Hockey East, right? They've got two conference wins right now. I know they're not beating down the doors of a national championship, but I am thrilled for his program to be able to go out and get a 5-point victory or a 5-point weekend and get a couple of victories and to win in overtime and to win on win on win on home ice like that's huge and the day is going to come where the program needs to stop taking moral victories or I need to stop taking moral victories on the program's behalf and coach Woodcroft knows that he wants this team to be national championship caliber but Right now, they're just not there. and So right now, like I'm I'm taking joy in the little victories of a sweep weekend, of winning at home. That's awesome. And I know Todd well. He comes on this show a bunch. He came on Vermont Viewpoint when I hosted. I'm happy for him because I know how much it means to him, and I know how hard he's worked. So uh, good for them. And it's going to be a tough weekend against Providence. Providence ranked number nine nationally, as uh, we alluded to in the interview. I will say this, though. You know, I – I'll push back a little bit on what Todd told me there at the end when he says, oh, it's gonna be the easiest answer I've ever given you in that, you know we we're not looking backwards. we're only looking forwards. That's great, coach speak, and that is how coaches view it. Players and players that are between the ages of eighteen and twenty four they're not all built that way, right? I mean, I know human nature. There is two ways that this goes for UVM, right? they sweep a weekend against UNH. There's two ways that it goes. One, you buckle down like he says, and you're not looking forward, you're only looking ahead and you buckle down and you start to get on a roll and everything continues to come together. Or you're feeling yourself a little bit and then you get railroaded like a deer in the headlights when you go to Providence and you get beat 6-1. There there's there those are the two ways that this goes. Right. I've been there. I've done it. My team never won when I was in college, right? Like at the beginning of my college career, my team never won. Senior year, we started to figure it out. We got a three game sweep against Fredonia, I think. Or we won two out of three. No, we swept Fredonia. Did we sweep Fredonia? We swept somebody and, you know, started feeling like, okay, we're doing pretty darn well now. And then you get, then you have a moment like, oh, okay, we, we weren't supposed to sit back. We haven't just arrived yet. So I trust that Coach Woodcroft will impart that message, but it is a message that is going to have to be imparted because it's human nature. It's the nature of young people to think, like, once you've done something that you're not used to doing, that you can just easily repeat it. And that's not the case. So I, I, I push back a little bit on that. He gave the good coach-speak answer. I'm giving what I believe to be the human-speak answer, the human nature answer. So uh, good stuff there from Todd Woodcroft, the Catamount men's. Hockey coach, very happy for him. Disappointed for UVM men's basketball. Real, I'm still just kind of gutted from that one last night. Double overtime on the road, three thousand miles away. Tournament team from a year ago had a chance. Had a chance. Now tomorrow they're going to take on USC, and that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a very difficult task. Despite the, like USC lost to Florida Gulf Coast a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago. So USC might not be as good as we're worried about, but they're they're not going to be, put this way, they're not going to be surprised anymore. They're not going to be surprised anymore by opponents. So we will see what happens. But uh, Catamounts and Providence this weekend on the ice. Catamounts and Bobcats in men's soccer uh, on Thursday on the pitch in the NCAA tournament. Catamounts and Trojans tomorrow night at Southern Cal uh, in men's basketball. Uh, All right. I've said we're going to get to the Patriots here. We don't have a lot of time left. I want to get to something Phil Perry said to us. We'll do that tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be more of a Patriots day again. We're going to have Bob Sosie, the voice of the Pats, on with us. He'll be with us at 545. We'll probably hear a little bit from Coach Brennan tomorrow about the Catamounts. So who are now at one and two. We'll get his perspective on everything and see what exactly he would do uh, if he were in Coach Becker's shoes. So I'd be interested in that perspective as well, thank you to Todd Woodcroft. The uh, interview and our full show podcast will be available shortly on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I am going to give it a go. I am going to give it a go. The tip-off is seven thirty. For our game. So I'm not gonna get a lot of warm-up time. I'm not gonna get a lot of stretching. I'm not gonna get a lot of shooting on the side, but I'm gonna give it a go. My so the listeners who offered to help my ankle and who did help my ankle, thank you. The fact that I can go out there at all today is because of you. Because if I had just let this ankle stew for weeks, it'd still be swollen and it'd still be purple and I'd still be hobbling. But my the great listeners helped get it helped get me ready. And uh we'll see what happens. If I play well. It's my Jordan flu game. If I don't play well, then I'm just an idiot who shouldn't, who shouldn't have rushed back. But I feel well enough to play, and I appreciate Todd Woodcroft. He's been listening to the show because he knew my ankle was all screwed up. But uh, I'll report back tomorrow. I'll be honest with you either way how I play. So I'm off to the game. George Thomas is in after me. Jazz with George Thomas takes you until 9 o'clock. And then it's Eye on the World with John Batchelor. Again, go download the podcast, everybody, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming on the free WDEV radio app.